0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a surprising, to a weird, to a funky, um, confusing episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. So today, it's just actually me and Andres. Um, We do want to wish Sam uh, all the best. I know that he had to put his cat down today for uh, 14 years, so... Or is going to tomorrow, um, so kind of tough on him. He didn't make it, um, but obviously we have some other things to talk about here. Andres Thomas Tuchel was sacked today, um, so before we kind of get into it, because that's what the podcast is going to be about. Um, how are you feeling? What are your what's your what's your gut like right now? <laughs> it's weird, man. It's it's. It's weird. We
1: obviously were all extremely upset Tuesday night. Um, The one thing that at least I thought in my head was like, this is going to be a turnaround point. The post-match, you know, sir, I was finally excited that Thomas Tuchel said, you know what, like all of us, including myself, need to do something about this, which this season is the first time that Thomas Tuchel sort of spoke about him having to change anything. And so I thought, okay, it's been bad. We all know it's been bad. Window is over. And he's changed the tone of what he is going to do. So wake up this morning to my phone blowing up because that's what happened. Yep. Same here. I was shocked. I was shocked. I didn't see it coming. I thought he would get more much more time than seven matches into the into the campaign. I thought that, you know, this can't be this is I, I just thought yesterday or Tuesday was as bad as it was gonna get. And that he would get the the team to rally and and we would see a different Tuchel-Chelsea on Saturday. So, surprise, shock, uh, initial disbelief. And I mean, I'll I'll tell you how I'm feeling now in a little bit. I I mean, I was never excited to let go of Tuchel. I thought that, I, I mean, I still do. I think he's a great manager.
0: You want to repeat that a little bit louder so people don't fucking jump on us like they have been? Because this is something that I just want to clarify. None of us, besides some, was too (laughs) cool out after yesterday. Andres and I, we were both too cool in. Too cool in, too cool in, too cool in. Right? Yeah, too cool in. With, like, obviously the
1: caveat that we can be frustrated at the current situation, but we were too close in. It was, it was not, kept saying it's not all gloom and doom, like, he was trying different things, obviously they didn't look too pretty, and then, like, for the life of me, like, Ziyech had the worst outing I've ever seen out of a Chelsea player, which obviously didn't help the situation, but, regardless, let's make this about Tukul. Yeah. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I thought that after Frank Lampard, no manager was going to be able to overall get a positive vibe out of a fran- uh, out of a fan base, and Tuchel, I think, did that and some. Um, yeah, I I'm eternally grateful for the manager. I think that I will not be even slightly surprised when he gets a job soon at another job that he club. wants. Yeah, exactly. A job that he wants. He won't settle for something. And I expect him to continue to succeed. Uh, But yeah, that was my initial reaction. So what about you?
0: Uh, Well, like you, um, the first thing I saw on my phone this morning was breaking. Thomas Tuchel has been sacked. Uh, And I got about four different notifications. ESPN, the Chelsea app, Bleacher Report. Discord, Whatsapp, regular text, I mean, <laughs> you, Twitter, you name it. Um, look, I'm, I'm like you, man, I'm, I'm not happy that he's gone by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I want to take this opportunity to just express my gratitude to Thomas Tuchel. I think he's thrown his hat in the ring as one of the greatest Chelsea managers ever. I mean, you come in, you win the Champions League right away, you make two cup finals, and the only reason why you don't win them is because of one penalty in each match. You, you, I mean, he, he basically came close to what was at five trophies and he, and he 20 24 months. Seats, goal open play in any yeah. final. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the guy's definitely a cup manager. Let's just put it that way. Um, it, at
1: least I would say this way. If there's a one-off match, I don't think I'd want any other manager to take Jose care of one match. Give me Jose. I'll still take two cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, either way, it's fair. I mean, we're yeah. we're comparing two Chelsea legends, but yeah, I mean, I love the man. I still love the man. I don't have any hard feelings for him whatsoever. Um, but here's the thing, Andres, you know, yesterday after the match ended, we talked and the general consensus was this podcast was going to be more like, a, when is it time to ask the question, you know, as opposed to let's discuss Tuchel actually being sacked. We were kind of saying... Three the next if we drop three matches the next three matches or if we just straight up lose at Fulham, then it might be a cause for a sacking. So I think the thing that surprised me was how quickly it came. But the Mm -hmm. more that it kind of marinated and the more I slept on it, the more I'm okay with it. And I'll tell you why. As Chelsea fans, we've seen this story how many times now. Manager comes in, team gets a bounce win a couple trophies, and then the cycle ends. Something gets stale along the way and -hmm. it becomes putrid and it completely goes sour and the manager gets sacked. I mean, we've seen it with Jose. We've Jose both times. We've seen it with Frank. We've seen it with Antonio Conte with his disagreements with the board. Right. You know, they've all led to certain falling outs in the dressing room. And, you know, as a result, we weren't picking up results on the pitch. So in my head, now that I slept on it, it was going to happen anyways. And I'm kind of relieved that it happened sooner than later because I feel like a lot of damage could have been done this weekend in the form of Alexander Mitrovich. And I know our (laughs) friend is going to love to hear that. And let's let's be
1: completely frank. It still may. I mean, we don't know when reportedly Graham Potter is going to start training the team. And, and the one thing that I, I want to say, and, I'm, and Zach, I'm going to take over the reins here, because mm-hmm. you made a good point. Our, our typical uh, carousel is things are going great. We win cup matches. Then the manager tries to speak his voice a little bit more. Things start not going their way. And then it's a awful, awful divorce between club and manager. I want to go ahead and give you guys what the reported timeline of... And I would say this is an over, like a an exaggeration calling it grievances. I just think it's more of a point of difference. In Tuchel have come out from Fabrizio, uh, Ben Jacobs. I have uh, Football London, uh, The Telegraph, Matt Law.
0: Ornstein, I've, David Ornstein Orn, who was one Ornstein of them.
1: Ornstein as well. Yeah. I, I'm trying to look at the sources that I'm going to be paraphrasing through. And these are going to be point by point. But the The main takeaway that I understand that, that I'm seeing based on what it's reported is that and I hope that what I'm about to say in a little bit uh, backs that is that Tuchel fit the Roman Abramovich approach of how he wanted to his coach to act while Tuchel did not fit the bowly holistic approach and culture that he's trying to bring to the club. And it just is one of those things. And you might be better at explaining it than the, the saying like oil and water don't mix. Like, what is that? Like, yeah, it was just two clashing, um, views of how the role and, and things should operate. And I think that both guys are, are men who thought we can work on this together. And at the end of the day, it was reported that Tuchel was very calm because I think Mm -hmm. both guys saw that neither of us are going to budge in what we see as a day-to-day operation. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start from the beginning. Uh, This is kind of my quick timeline starting back in the summer. Uh, The dual role of manager and director of football was taking a toll on Tuchel prepared preferred preferred uh the coaching only approach that he had under the previous regime where he spoke to marina and peter check about everything and he just had that small channel and it was that he was not a fan of the dismissal of peter check who he had become close to as well as marina who handled the more ins and outs of transfer business uh expectation Was that Tuchel would be a part of the transfer pitch and availability to take daily calls. Tuchel didn't want, uh, he didn't warm to the day to day contact, especially not when he was busy planning for a new season and preparing for matches. And so they tried meeting halfway with a WhatsApp group text that could allow um, Tuchel to still say what he wanted to without being as intrusive. And even then, Tuchel was still not a fan. Uh, Tuchel was extremely frustrated in general with the U.S. tour, but that was arranged by previous ownership. There was nothing uh, that Bowley and his consortium could do there. Uh, During this, during the same preseason tour, ownership was looking for clarity over the status of periphery players, and apparently, Tuchel did not give that which was a point of frustration um the the big first thing that everybody has reported was the Arsenal preseason match and not the result but what came from it and it was the general tone of irritation Tuchel's reaction to the the players extremely calling out the ownership early status with his Role in the transfers and the lack there of a finished business. It was just a a very aggressive, and the the ownership just didn't like how public that was made. Um, there was the big Cristiano Ronaldo talking point, and Oboli's oh, just upset that it was a CR seven thing, apparently. Boley was never going to sign Ronaldo without Tuchel's blessing, but the fact that Chelsea was even bringing up Ronaldo was infuriating Tuchel, who made his position clear. And Boley, on the other side, him and the ownership wanted open communication and they wanted to ask questions in regards to why Tuchel wanted certain players. And they never felt like Tuchel respected that and, and he was just, uh, what how, what's the right way to say this? Because uh, he was just against having to explain himself as a manager if he had already said yes or no. Um, At this point in the window, the owners began to believe that he did not mirror their vision of building a team for the now as well as the future. Because the same issues that were coming in with incomings and who should they target was being mirrored with the departures uh, a couple of times it was reported that Tuchel was ready to completely sell certain players while the club had to sh- make sure that players like hudson Adoy would be alone and Levi Colwell would be alone and have no options to buy um, then of course this is just confusing in our end deadline day The owners, if the owners have seen this gray area, it's confusing to us as fans why players like Obama, Yang, and Zakaria were pushed for when those were reportedly very much Tuchel targets. And then post-window, Simon Phillips reported that the manager lost key players in the locker room as early as two weeks ago, and those have been now confirmed by other sources. So... It's not that the players, it's not that the the match against Croatia, the Zagreb was it. There has been a clear disagreement, and things need to be done now for the club, and how they need to be accomplished between owner and manager. So, yeah. I I don't want to hear the arguments of like oh. This is just the carousel again. It also happens to be the 100th day of the new ownership. And now this is just now my opinion on it. And I'll let you speak yours in a second. If you took any sort of business class or any elective on entrepreneurship, there is something called the 100-day plan for people that are put into leadership positions or companies and such like that. Holy has taken over a club that needed to bring back success in the now and in the future before in the Dodgers and Bowley never played baseball in a pro level. Like franchises, sports clubs work in similar ways without having um they are be, businesses. Yeah. And yeah. I believe that he saw that this was not going to be a long-term fit at they were always going to be badgering each other every step on the way, regardless of success or not on the pitch. It was always going to have a debate rather than an open conversation. And Mm -hmm. it seems like that is the reason at this point. Now, as a fan, without that information, sure, I would have loved Tuchel to have more time. Um. I would have also loved a DOF to have been involved before this decision was made, but reports are also claiming that maybe whoever was leading candidate for the DOF job might have whispered something in the ears of these of this uh, new consortium as to why Graham Potter might be the next guy. So I'm sad that Tuchel's gone. I think that, in my personal opinion, he could have steadied the ship and started giving us results, but if it's true that the players gave up and that the main reason behind all this is a calculated approach for what the culture and what the project that these owners have is great.
0: Bring it on. I'm,
1: what's that? I said, bring it on. So, so, so here's where I leave it and I'll pass it off to you. I don't know if, the next manager will actually be given time. None of us ever know, but I can't make that judgment until we cross that bridge later. Yeah. So, again, I wish absolutely nothing but the best for Thomas Tuchel. This isn't me. You know, I I I can admit that I thought Frank was way over his head and that he wasn't right for this job. I also thought that sorry did an awful job of of trying to to mend relationship with fans. And I thought he probably should have not stayed like all these other firings. I was in a way like, okay, I saw that coming too cool. I thought on the pitch wise, it could have been fixed. But if I'm to believe everything that's been reported today, I can sort of swallow the, the tough pill a little bit easier. So after if- seeing all this information today, Zach, like where are you now?
0: If everything's true, then we made the right decision. And the fact that we made the decision as swiftly as we did is even better for us because I kind of alluded to it earlier i i'm i I actually disagree with you. I don't think there was any way we were turning to surround. I don't think there was any signs of it to be completely honest. Um I knew the players were checked out before these reports even came out. Just look at the eyeball test. I mean, it's clear when you see players like Mason Mount. Reese James, Kalidu Koulibaly, um, you know, Kai Havertz, Jorginho, the list goes on and on and on. All these guys who are having a slump in form and just kind of can't get themselves out of it. Something's got to give. It's not that these guys are just shitty footballers overnight. Yeah, we've been talking shit about Kai and maybe a little bit about Jorginho and maybe a comment or two here about Kalidu Koulibaly. But the bottom line is that on the top of their game, on the right day, they're world beaters. They're world class. So... They don't just suck overnight. I kind of had a hunch that something was in the water at the club um, for a while now. Now, there were a couple things here that I heard off of uh, Ornstein and Toomey um, that you didn't mention, and I don't know if, if you know the, the, the accuracy on these, but I do know that both of those guys are incredibly reputable and usually they're right. So the first thing is the Trevor Chalaba situation. I heard that um, Tuchel was the one that wanted to put him on loan. And Todd Bowley was actually the one that pumped the brakes on it and didn't understand why the hell we wanted to send him on loan after he just had an incredible cameo two days before. Um, Yeah. That was one. Um, The other thing was I also heard that after the Leeds match, because it really started after the Arsenal match, I heard there there was a negative reaction in the dressing room to the Arsenal performance, and that's when things started to turn for Tuchel and the players. But I heard after the Leeds match, Boley and Tuchel haven't spoken. Zero contact. So with all that being said, if you're Todd Boley and the guy running your, basically running your team hasn't talked to you in, what, about a month? And the expectation is that he's supposed to? What would you do if you're the boss? You know. So from Boley's perspective, I do get it. And and from a culture perspective, I 100% get it as well. This has to be said. Thomas Tuchel was not Todd Bowley's signing. That's not his manager. That was Roman's manager. That was the guy Roman wanted to put in charge of the club. Now, did it work? Could it have worked? I think so. In the beginning, it definitely could have worked. But where we're at now, it just seems like the right time to cut things off, Andres. I mean, between you and me, what's, what's honestly going to happen? If Tuchel's still the manager, we go into Fulham. We probably see another boring-ass version of the 3-4-3, or you'll see a 4 2 2 with Ziyech on the right wing. And we'll probably drop more points. I didn't uh, see I anything... Think would
1: ever, I don't think Ziyech would have ever stepped the field again under Tuchel, to be fair. And I don't think... Regardless. regardless i don't think Z- he should get a pass this weekend anyway i think no no Zesh is I done i swear done. that these players the players that are currently here and that's one thing that we'll get to in a little bit um i, I don't want to and, and i want to stop you because i don't want to get too much into like the what if if Tuchel stayed i think no that, no at that point, I it's was actually... point um i i think we should I kind of want to look back at his time because again, I I don't think I I don't have any sort of, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, Ill will or anything towards him. I still think extremely highly of him and his time at the club was great. Mm -hmm. Um, So just to try to circle, go, Go ahead, before I kind of... Rip yeah, 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 yeah. Well one last thing before we
0: look back. I, I, I just kind of want to like stick my, stick my flag in the ground for a sec and just make my point really clear. So this is my stance on the whole situation. I'm sad that he's gone. I still love the man. I, I respect the hell out of him. I still hold him in high regard, whatnot, whatever. But as fans, and I've seen this a lot, as fans, it's extremely dangerous of us to go and assume that Boley's going to do this with every single manager. I, it, 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 it's just a toxic mindset, in my opinion. I mean, I've seen arguments that Tuchel hasn't, uh, hasn't been supported in the right way. I've seen arguments that he hasn't been given enough time. I mean, I, I, I've seen all these different things. The bottom line is this. Every transfer target we set out to get Todd Boley met the asking price, no questions asked. And if he didn't meet the asking price, we got a better deal than the team was initially asking. So the incentive, the focus, the drive from ownership was all there. That's just my take on it. So football runs in cycles. It just so happens that Thomas Tuchel's cycle at Chelsea is over. Who's to say that whoever comes in won't have a similar cycle? But but who's to say that whoever comes in can't build something like a clock did or like a pep did? So... That's my stance on things. I think Bully's looking at Liverpool and City and saying, I need to replicate something like that. And in order to do that, I need my guy in charge. I need to know for sure that my guy's going to be in charge so all these different things can happen, like the communication, you know, like the WhatsApp group, like talking to the players, the relationships, the dressing room, his attitude, the press conferences, all of those things. I think that's the reason why they might have you know, targeted Graham Potter in that respect is because he's young mm-hmm. enough to where ownership might be able to sort of mold him into the type of manager they want him to be from the ownership perspective while letting him produce the on-field product, which he does so beautifully anyways, because his teams do play beautiful football.
1: Oh, bringing it back to Tuchel and what he achieved with us. So 100 games, even. That was what, after Tuesday, 100 games, 60 wins, 24 draws. 16 losses the the team scored 168 goals 77 goals were conceded he won the champions league he won the european super cup he won the club world cup which led to us completing football two fa cup runner-ups um arguably two matches that we should have won one carabao cup runner-up which went down all the way to penalty and zero goals conceded in all those finals. Apart from that, when the club was sanctioned, the man was a freaking godsend and he somehow kept the train rolling and, and he tried to deviate as much as the negative uh, things that were being said about the club out of the way. Um, um, he made us love a manager after Frank Lampard was sacked, which I think was an extremely
0: tall mountain to climb. None of us were ready to love again. That that, that exactly. does need to be said. After Frank, I remember Andres, and I'll actually kinda of give you your flowers here. I was the one that was anti tuchel And you were the one telling me Trust me, guy's gonna be good for us. But like we were all on the same page. None of us were ready to love again, and, and we did.
1: Yeah. And I just wanted to ask you, like, off the top of your head, like, is there a particular ducal moment that stands out for you?
0: Spurs. Spurs. That was. Which time? The most recent. This was one of the best performances from a manager on the touchline that I've ever seen. In terms of shithousery, the passion. I mean, it, it. it was like um, you knew how much he loved the club. He wasn't doing that for his own personal pride. He was doing it for the club, for the supporters. He felt like he was doing it for us. I mean, we were all watching it. Uh, me, Bobby, and Sam were watching it, actually, uh, in our hotel room in Houston after your wedding the next morning. We all hung over. It it, we were all saying that. You know, Tuchel doing that wasn't for him it was for all of us watching all the people in the states all the people in Asia all the people in Australia all the people across Europe Africa all over the world I mean that's it was just kind of like a it was like a very wholesome moment for all of us and we you know it's crazy to think that that was only five weeks ago or six weeks ago but yeah for me off the top of the head that was probably the most recent amazing thing he's done. And it's probably on the top of the list. I mean, winning the yeah, Champions that League, That was three obviously. weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Feels like Three six. weeks ago. I'm, yeah. I'm approaching
1: a month of marriage, and that was my first day of being a married man. Yeah. That's um, nuts. Yeah. No, mine has to be n- n- not the match itself, but the celebrations after the Champions League. It was everything that came after winning the Champions League. It was the the way he looked at the trophy, the way that the players were reacting to him, uh, the the immediate burst of energy on the final whistle, the words with Abramovich on the pitch. Um, I guess the, actually that one was from the Club World Cup when we won that, when he actually got with Abramovich and told him that that was for him and that this was yeah. all possible because of him. Um and and i'm never gonna forget his first press conference because at one point he built a team nobody wanted to play and yeah. i didn't believe he was going to be able to do that and he did that before signings were even something he could achieve those that that uh immediate takeover and how quickly he was able to turn this team around was unbelievable so yeah, I mean I'm it the, the story was so great. I I'm still going to have amazing memories from it. The fact that he came not just him but Thiago Silva at the same time came from a, a a team like PSG who just wanted to sweep them to the side and think they were dusted and and for them to reunite here and and Tuchel to just like you said bring us from a place where we didn't think we could love again.
0: Yeah. Um, it was like a I really bad breakup yeah and And then this girl
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and i just think it's it's super unfortunate what has happened you know it's unfortunate that you know he finally found a club that operated the way he wanted to and then things way outside of his own control came and a new group is coming and they have a different vision um I don't want to get into the man's personal life, but at the end of the day, Thomas Ducal is a human being, and I truly believe that the man was affected by things that happened with his family, and that's extremely mm-hmm. unfortunate. I hope that, again, not only just on the pitch he finds joy again, but I hope that outside of the pitch he's overall a happy man. I think that you just talked about breakups. Breakups are extremely hard, <laughs> yes. and I can't imagine marriage. So it's one of those things, man, where... A lot of shit was dealt to him. And, and through it, he kept a strong face for us. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it's just not meant to be at this point. Um, I'm excited to see where he goes to next. I'm excited to see what that may look like. But let's bring it back to Chelsea, man. I think we all agree that we were saying a, a strong and loving Auf Wiedersehen to Thomas Tuchel. Mm-hmm. But it's time to talk about a little bit, because we don't know much at this point, about what's coming next. And according to both David Orenstein and, and Matt Law, that is one Graham Potter. Let's just let me just give me your quick reaction on, on the manager. I'm not asking you to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. It's just like, why do you think this is a good fit? Um, Or do you think he's a good fit?
0: I do. I do. I actually rate Graham Potter a lot. I think he's one of the better young managers in the Premier League. Um, I would say he's probably my first choice out of all the names that have been thrown out there. No, know Pochettino's another name thrown in the ring. Uh, Zidane is another name that was thrown out. Um, I don't want either. Brendan
1: Rodgers as well. I I saw that one.
0: Uh, Brendan Rodgers. It was thrown out. It
1: was thrown out. I'm just yeah, saying. no, no, and,
0: and and to be fair, Brend, I wanted Brendan Rodgers pre Tuchel. I wanted him after Frank. Um, I thought that was the right time to go after him. But after seeing his 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 stint at Leicester, you know, he's he's had significant investment in the team, um, and it, they're just very inconsistent. It just doesn't sit right with me thinking about him taking over but you look at Graham Potter limited resources you know he's only worked on 50 60 million dollar transfer budgets for the whole summer um you know he he's worked with um you know I, where was he I think he was in Sweden prior to coaching in the Premier League and he brought Ostersen's from you know I think they were in like the third or fourth division all the way to the first division and then obviously he comes to England and a team like Brighton has a lot of structure in terms of the way they're actually operated. They're very, they're very well run. They buy well and they buy low and they sell high. Um, and you know, Graham Potter is—I think he's a part of that. Honestly, you know, he's a part of developing the players like Cucarea, the players like Ben White. Um, you know, uh, Caicedo. Caicedo. I mean, that that kid's unbelievable. Um, Sully March even. I mean, this was a guy that wasn't even in a Premier League starting eleven, and now he's a you know, full-time right wing back. He keep, he's keeping Tarek Lampty out of the team. So, you know, there, there's a lot of potential here, and I'm excited for it. Um, I don't want to say too much because, again, it's, it's still too early. We could wake up tomorrow and see a completely different name. But in terms <laughs> of the profile, it's a young English manager – um, and I think that's exactly what we need right now. We need somebody young that we could sort of give the keys to and say, listen, here's time and money. You do what you will with it. We'll come back to you after X amount of time and then sort of reevaluate. What I hope doesn't happen is we give him until Christmas or we give him until May. That's the key. It's, yeah. it's going to be nearly impossible for him to come into this team, which is a fragmented locker room and completely turn things around and all of a sudden we're playing top four or you know damn near top four football again that's an unrealistic expectation it's going to take time and you know it could happen but again we just have to be realistic about this and my my thing is i hope i hope the ownership is is patient with this whole process you know in terms of setting their mark in the premier league i know they're really really eager to do it you know big name signings and whatnot, but just whoever we bring in, I just plead that he has the time and he has the investment and he has the trust that he needs to, you know, build a team, not yep. buy one overnight or buy one in four windows.
1: Yeah. Um, I think you, you mentioned you hope the owners have patience, I hope fans have patience, myself included, yeah, because. It, as one thing that I hope is like, I'm not moving the the, the goalpost anymore. Like I I think that we still need to achieve top four. I think it's doable with the squad. I think the squad has been severely underperforming this season. So I think that the manager bounce is real. We know that that happens often. But I'm hoping that like after the bounce ends and we do lose a match, it's not like. This guy fucking sucks. This guy isn't the guy. Like, wait till May. Wait till top four is mathematically out of the picture. Wait till you see how the table ends at the end of the year. Like, people want to jump in and say it's over. It's done. You, you never know what's going to happen. We can have the healthiest stint of Kovacic and Conte we've seen in three years. And we somehow to transition out of them here i don't know the point is a ton can happen between now and may but i still hope for a top four and i just hope that it's one of those things where i see a gradual learning curve and and performance curve from this team we are i think what a few points from top four currently so it's not like on the table we have a huge mountain to climb to get where we where we expect to be but I want to see it reflect on the pitch I don't want to win because VAR took a goal away from somebody else I don't want to win because we got a soft pen I want to feel like this team is deserves it and and they had a stamp on the match and the score reflects it and uh, I found this quote um, online today Uh, Alex Stewart of Analytics FC, he says that both coaches, uh, Tuchel and Potter, have a full control style, a high pressing style, but one that combines high pass circulation numbers and the ability to pin opponents deep in their own half. So what I'm seeing is, okay, we got a guy that has a similar approach to Tuchel. And this past window, the summer window that just ended, we added value In terms of getting to that sort of vision on the pitch the big difference i also know is that this is a fresh guy so all the players are going to have a in their eyes a clean slate and if potter can manage the personalities and get them to just believe that he's going to put them in the right place to succeed early on we can see a, a drastic change and what we see on the pitch in terms of energy levels, as well as the type of football that a three at the back formation can truly give us without it feeling boring. And so that's where I'm at. Um, I guess we can just talk also about the fact that Matt Law said that this isn't a, a knee jerk hire just because that because Brighton's in fourth place right now. He said that ownership this summer went to big European uh, agents such as Mendez, uh, Ronaldo's agent, to ask them you know, about general footballing, the world of football topics, to get well-versed with the, the world they were entering, and amongst things, talk about not only players, but who are the the managers to, to kind of keep an eye on, and he says that Shirley Potter came up, and, and knowing that Bowley and, and his his style of data driven analytics has always been a thing uh he thinks that you know stats such as you know the expected points versus the points achieved would be something that would definitely stand out for someone like Graham Potter to where he was the clear um candidate to ever be a, a target for this uh, new ownership
0: group yeah, I think I think it, that's a good point to bring up. Is that it would be a very, I don't I don't want to say seamless, but it would be the path of least resistance in terms of the coaching change from Tuchel to Potter. They line up with a similar formation. Yep. They both want to possess the ball. They both want to press high. They both want to defend well. Those are their their key you know elements of how they play. I think the main difference with Graham Potter is that. His teams, they play with the final ball. They make the final run and they play the final ball, which is something we haven't seen Tuchel's, any of Tuchel's teams do since he came in. That's probably been the biggest criticism is we don't score enough damn goals. And that's probably why we wind up falling apart. But with Graham Potter's teams, you know he's been functioning with Danny Welbeck up top, and they're still managing he to had score Mo five goals before that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, he had Mope before that. Right, exactly. It's... The proof is in the pudding with this guy. I mean, what's not to be impressed about? I know all the Chelsea players in the dressing room are going to think the same thing as well. They're going to, be, they're going to have the utmost respect for a guy like Ram Potter. I mean, the last two times we played them, they played us damn well. And because they're actually they're a fucking good team. And they're, they're very well coached. And I actually just looked it up, Andres. He, uh, he signed with Austersons in 2010. And they were in the fourth tier. Swedish football. By 2015, they were promoted to the first division. Yeah. So, if you just kind of want so, to take that, I know it's Swedish football, but come on guys. I don't know many people that can yeah, do that.
1: So, so we're giving a lot of positives. Uh, do you have any potential concerns? Because I, I, I want to speak yeah. a
0: few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, Here's the main one. Uh, what if it doesn't work out? What if, the, what if ownership got this completely wrong and he turned out to okay, not bring, be... Bring it
1: back, bring it back though. Like about Potter specifically. Like before uh, we get into the big picture mm-hmm. of it all. Because the, the big picture failure is the obvious one. We know what's yeah. going to happen with the fans. We're going to be the new the new Glazers. We're going to be the new Cronkies. Like it, it, that's the obvious. I mean, mm-hmm. Potter. What about Potter specifically at Chelsea? as a manager, do you have mm. a concern about?
0: He's never coached at a big club and that's a concern. Now football's football, right? But the pressure is on another level. I mean, I, we've seen so many great managers go to, you know, big name clubs, the Manchester United's, your Barcelona's, your Real Madrid's and completely stink up the place and get the sack within a few months and they never wind up getting a job like that again. So worst case scenario, that's what happens with Graham Potter and it damn well could happen because guess what? He hasn't coached at a big club. He could come in here and be completely overwhelmed by the atmosphere, he could come here and be overwhelmed by the pressure or the questioning by the media, I mean all of these different things that we've seen get to managers in the past they are going to get to him eventually. So it's just a matter of, you know, can he hold it off that long? Now, the other thing I'm kind of bummed or not bummed out about, but it's bitter. It It's kind of bittersweet is that we're going to keep seeing the back three. That's, that's what he's been <laughs> deploying at Brighton. I know that because all of Brighton's defenders are on my fantasy premier league team, um, <laughs> or at least all their center backs. So, they deploy a back three. We're going to continue to see that. Now, is it the end of the world? Probably not, because it's a, it's a, it's a progressive, possession-based back three. It's not a defensive low block, but that, that's another thing that I'm a little bit worried about. The third thing is managing big-name personalities. Hakeem Ziyech has a fucking ego. Christian Pulisic <laughs> no. has an ego you know, there there are egos in that dressing room and they have to be managed to a certain extent. Aubameyang now is probably the biggest ego in the dressing room out of everybody. But yeah, those have to be managed. Um, and we've seen, you know, these managers at the smaller clubs, they quickly gain respect for these players because all of those players are blue collar grinders. You know, they all want to just put in work, put their head down and get the move to a bigger club. And they have to respect that manager to do it. So they do it. At a top club, that's not necessarily the case. You know, players do have more power. When they say things, it holds more weight. You will get the tougher questions. So I'd say those are probably three of the things that I'm concerned about the most. If I had to rank them, I'd say the fact that he's never coached at a top club is probably the, the biggest concern. Um, and the you know the personality issue is probably going to be the last thing that you really need to worry. So about.
1: basically, uh, a mix between what happened to Andre Villas Boas at Chelsea and what happened to Nuno Espirito Santo at Spurs.
0: Yeah,
1: that covers the big club thing and the big egos thing.
0: I don't uh, think it covers the big club thing because because Spurs aren't a big uh, club. I... Okay, <laughs> <laughs>
1: so. For me, I, I agree with those. I think that the basically being under the lights in a more direct way where the expectation is much higher is a big one. Um, I also think it takes a lot of balls to do this right now in the mm-hmm. state that the club is in. So maybe he's got the the minerals, as our British friends likes to say. But for me, I am concerned about, and and this is something that I've talked about when it comes to player profiles. Why did I think someone like Timo Werner fail here? Why did I think someone like Romelu Lukaku failed? Will Graham Potter be able to establish his very fun attacking fluid style When we are expecting a low block more often than not, it's a totally different picture of what he expects from his opponents Mm. at Chelsea versus what he sees
0: at Brighton. Yeah. Does he have Um, the key to unlock the low block every single week?
1: Because that has been, and that's what keeps us from jumping from third and fourth place to second and first. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to beat the teams that aren't trying to play to beat us we struggle to beat the guys that parked the bus and hope to get one point or in dynamo Zagreb's well dynamo zagreb was trying to get points it's still not a uh what's it called the two-legged affair so my big thing is you know we know that he is known currently for his tactics can he find the patterns of play? Can he do those things to not only get the results, but make the players believe that they can themselves unlock these low blocks? Because under to the two previous managers, they couldn't. At least not consistently. Lampard yeah. couldn't figure it out. Tuchel couldn't figure it out. Some of them under Sarri couldn't figure it out. So, so can there's, we finally get to that point?
0: There's going to be a balance, right? Because... Now that you mention it, you had Frank, who sort of... I think he gave the players too much freedom in the attacking third. I don't think he coached them enough. Um, Then you had Tuchel, who sort of overcoached. And Sari, who overcoached. So, does he have that balance of, you know, playing up to the final ball and then the players being able to express themselves? Or is he just going to sort of come in and be like, here's the pattern of play wing-back to center-back to midfielder, well forward-back to wing-back. I mean, I don't know.
1: I mean, let's, let's be real. Like It's been said already. So, like, obviously we know Sari wanted to draw a blueprint from the moment we win the ball all the way to shooting. Like, he had patterns all the way through. And it was also why we got figured out, because the moments the patterns were figured out, the goals started going down. Under Frank, Frank said that Frank was trying to, to just counter. But the issue was that when he was pressing, the pressing was wrong. We were getting killed in that. Cause, let's be real, uh, the number nine curse didn't exist under Frank. Tammy scored plenty, so yeah. like, there was that. It was his defensive scheme that really fucked him at the end of the day. Like players were not understanding how and we were getting beat by random teams. And tukul he had he drew the game plan from the, the the defensive third all the way till you get to that about twenty yards out face, and then he said. All right, guys, this is where you take over. So we need to find a happy medium. We can't have a guy that figured out the goals but leaks them. We can't have a guy that wants to do too much like sorry, in all aspects of the game. And then it turns out that we gave too much freedom to these guys when, when we can't score. And, and unfortunately, it leads to us spamming crosses without having a striker on the box. So, yeah, I, that's where my concern is. I rate Graham Potter. I do. Um, and I think that the the new manager balance is always a positive thing to try to get your uh, tactics in place So, I want to finish with this. What is your expectation now that you know, seven matches into the season, we have a new manager where, what will keep you? What's a good season? I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, like, what do you consider being like, you're like, okay, let's go. We're good. It was We're good with Potter onto season two. Um, I think the champions league can be tricky. So I think it'd be asking
0: Otter to dig us out of a hole, um, but if he were to do that and get us top four, I think, I think that's I, I think right now top four is a successful season still. Um, it really hasn't changed much, to be completely honest with you. Listen, as far as closing the gap to Liverpool and City, the gap between us and City got way bigger. They got Holland, we didn't. And, <laughs> well, um, and Liverpool got closer a little bit. So I think uh, maybe shortening that gap a little bit to Liverpool in terms of you know I, the actual performances. I think the eye test is going to go a long way with him. So if we yeah. can hover around fourth... Andres, and play really good football and see signs of us being like, you know, just incredible next season, then for me, that's a good that that's a good season for Graham Potter. But I'm not I'm not expecting him to come in, get us to the semifinal of the Champions League. And, you know, second place into it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, fun, funny enough, I uh, I jumped on a podcast Monday. I'm trying to remember what happened Saturday. What was the match we played Saturday? It feels so long ago now. The last Premier League match we won. Oh, West Ham. The West Ham match. So we talked. I, I jumped on the True Blue show with with our friend Trey, Trey at Trey Wolf on Twitter, and we were just kind of talking about, you know, just. What is going on with the team? Like, what's going on? Like, why can't we just seem to string wins here and there? And I actually pitched him the question about, like, what you kind of said is now the realistic season because that's where I thought the aim should be. I told him. If I told you that the season ends with top four and a clear footballing identity, we we got to that point where it's not like what's going to happen week one versus week two. We have a clear football identity in what we will be doing as a club uh, mm-hmm. on the pitch. No trophies this season. Fine. fine, completely
0: fine. Yeah, I mean, I obviously, I I, I don't think, think ownership is thinking that. to be comp- to, to be honest. I don't think ownership is thinking that. I don't think Bowley's looking at you know four more trophies on the line and saying, "Yeah, I'm not going to take any of them this year." <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, look, the way I see it is world cup is
1: on a weird year so that tends to the calendar already i think that we're kind of in a tough spot with city in the carabao cup which is the one cup that like you can argue is like you know here we go champions league is a roulette if we're playing good at the right time who knows it could happen it's it's just kind of the lay of the land and then when it comes to the fa cup could we do it sure it just depends where we are in the league table. I'm going to want the league table over everything right now because I, we cannot fall out of Champions League in my eyes. Yeah. Now Now I also would sound like a damn hypocrite if I ask everybody else to be given more time. If we don't achieve top 4, I'll be pissed. But if we have that footballing identity, I'd say like you go into season 2. Um, with Potter because then again then the Tuchel firing didn't make sense and then Potter's firing would make no sense so to me I think we just need to see this team progress as a unit I want to see results start to tie together I want to feel like a loss came out of the blue instead of an expected thing
0: like we are Chelsea I I want players to play like they feel wanted Guys like that too, yeah. Guys like Christian Pulisic, you know. Guys like um, Conor Gallagher, you know. Maybe you we differ. Trevor Chalaba is the biggest one on the whole fucking so, roster. You know, it's. So, so, I just want guys to feel like like they're part of the team, minus Ziyech.
1: Yeah, I, I want players to have that understanding of their role. I I think the ship has sailed on Ziyech and Polisic honestly, I think their thought of this club is done, and whatever let's see what comes with Potter maybe
0: i think Polisic I think Pulisic has an outside shot, but I'm also very very biased uh, see so yeah, i i'm my Pulisic bias is long gone,
1: but i players you mentioned chalaba Gallagher um a plan for uh, Brogia, who just signed a long long contract and they was you know now everything is in air quotes like Apparently, if he now that he's healthy, he was going to get his chance. Well, I, that's where I'm at. Like, we need
0: to Kepa. use our squad. Kepa might continue to get a run out. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, like, like yeah, we, these there's are a lot
1: of uncertainty, but there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want think, to feel that the team is united. I want to feel that you know we. You talked about it. They weren't running. Like you could see it Tuesday. These guys didn't run and and the other thing that i noticed a couple times this season is if we had to call an audible mid-match cuz something wasn't working at that point nobody knew what they were doing and it was clear and then i don't know what happened tuesday that sterling was playing center mid at one point like it was yeah. in, in the middle of the park so like i want to see that there's plan a and plan b and plan c and as the season progresses these players understand what they're supposed to do during plan a and it, and execute it and so on down the line because we looked like we had no clue what to do at certain points and i just think that's unacceptable when we consider ourselves among england's elite
0: yeah uh, the biggest thing andres is is getting a tune out of mason now again you know getting connor getting the best out of connor gallagher i think getting confidence in connor gallagher is huge You know, before this season, those are two guys that we targeted that we can possibly build around. That's going to be massive. He's going to have to balance the Kepa Mendy situation. He's going to have to balance the Kukureya chilwell situation. Let's not forget he was Kukureya's manager. So there's a bias there already. We have the Aubameyang-Ambrosia situation. There's a lot of positions on the pitch that are up for grabs and that there's good competition for. So for him to come in, He's really gonna not. First of all, he has to inspire the players because they haven't been inspired. None of them could be bothered right now. But the other thing is getting a tune out of them. So I'm really curious to see what kind of tune and who he decides to get a tune out of first. Is he gonna rely on the older players to kind of come in, steady the ship right away, and then gradually bring in some of those some of those younger periphery guys like Broja, like Trevor Chalaba, or is he gonna, and Gallagher, or is he gonna go right away with This is the team that I think is going to press the best and maintain possession, you know, most efficiently, and I'm just going to go with it. Yeah,
1: I'm leaning towards a version of the latter more than the former. I don't think he's going to, because this is part of the whole project Bowley speaking of, I don't think he'll rely on the guys that have less than a year Mm -hmm. on their contract. Like, I don't see how that builds up to anything right now maybe match number one because yes veterans can adapt to crazy change much faster than young players can but forgive me but I don't I don't think that Jorginho is going to be a long-term plan and suddenly get a new long contract like It kills me to say it, but I don't think there's going to be a new long term contract for Conte in the works either, even if he comes back super healthy. Like, I do think we're going to see him try to get these younger players more involved as the season progresses, not just like Tuchel that relied on the vets and stuck to the vets. You know, I think.
0: have to buy Billy Gilmore back. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that one we didn't even touch on that, but that's that's not the point of today's podcast. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I it, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. I, I'm choosing the path of 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 uh, optimism and finding the silver lining rather the path of I hate everything Chelsea related and I'm never gonna watch Chelsea again because that's a lie. And yeah. I try to enjoy when I have to wake up at six in the morning to watch Chelsea play. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm bummed, extremely bummed about Tuchel being fired. I, again, we've discussed it plenty today, but I'm trying to stay optimistic about what the new and fully executed now bully era era is going to mean for the club.
0: Yeah, likewise. I actually feel pretty good still about where we're at. Like it's, I sort of feel relieved in a way. I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah. Um, Anyways, you got nothing else to add. Um, Yeah, that kind of wraps it up, man. It was a doozy, but we kind of got through it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you're not following us on Twitter, make sure you are at Blues on Parade. Um, We do record episodes after every match, at least we try to, or after every major event like this one. Um, So make sure you're looking out for our episode drops and until next pod, keep the blue flag flying high.
1: All right, waiting on tom to, to end it. I can't end it even. Like, I can't touch it.